Welcome and apologies for being a bit later than usual today, but it won't make any difference. Now we're going and the internet should behave. So today I have an expert interview all the way from Australia and she had to get, get up really, really early to do this with Carla Lee of Voice for Kids. And Carla's also going to be uh, sharing a, a shared story with us as well. And we end up with a beautiful healing from Susan Cowmiller, one of our... our the best way to divorce gang. Let's have a look first at the news. So right now in the Law Society Gazette hot off the press, digital divorce portal to become mandatory. Getting a divorce will move a significant step closer to becoming a paper-free process. When HM Courts and Tribunal Services digital portal in the UK becomes mandatory for new applications next week. From Monday, legal representatives will need to process divorce applications via the MyHMCTS online service rather than using the paper form D8. Exceptions are applications for civil partnership dissolution, judicial separation and nullity, which should be filed at Bury St Edmunds Regional Divorce Centre. Paper applications will continue to be processed in a transitional period to 4th of October, HMCTS said. More than 150,000 divorce applications have been processed since the digital service was introduced in 2018 as part of the government's £1 billion courts reform programme. Latest figures show that 70% of applications are submitted and completed online, which HMCTS said helps the agency to finalise divorces in an average of 20 weeks compared with around 60 weeks for paper applications. Just to be clear here, I believe they're talking about the petition side, not sorting out all the finances or any other aspects. So just the basic admin of getting ending that legal contract of marriage. Staff are returning fewer than 1% of online applications compared with around 20% of paper applications for legal representatives to amend. Juliet Harvey, Chair of Family Law Group Resolution, said many of the group's members and clients have benefited from the digital service, but the process has not been without hiccups. Harvey said one of the biggest issues is that the platform was initially designed for citizens, litigants in person, and development of the professionals platform has seen additions and enhancements to that platform rather than a bespoke platform designed for lawyers, she says. A major issue that remains is that it is not possible to move between the two platforms. If a petitioner, litigant in person wishes to instruct a solicitor to deal with the divorce after issue, the case comes off the digital platform and proceeds on paper through the Bury St Edmunds Divorce Unit. In financial proceedings, if the respondent starts as a litigant in person but later is represented, the platform cannot presently handle a notice of change. This means that the case would come off the digital platform and move to a paper-based process, negating the benefits of the online platform. This is an issue that HMCTS are aware of and are planning to deal with when launching the new divorce platform to deal with no-fault divorce, hurrah, under the Divorce Dissolution and Separation Act. Claire Andrews, an associate in the family department at Osborne's Law, said petitioners are now able to go through the divorce process easily without the assistance of a lawyer, enabling lawyers to focus on the financial arrangements, which is often the most important element of divorce, but can get overshadowed by the previously archaic and slow divorce process. 
Family lawyer and arbitrator Tony Rowe said the court service had a lot of work to do on the digital platform between now and 6th of April when provisions under the Divorce, Dissolution and Separation Act commence. This is a golden opportunity to get it right, bearing in mind the lessons learnt, he said. How very diplomatic. The Mirror talks of the man who shares amazing act of revenge after wife makes ridiculous divorce demand. According to the Mirror, the divorce is never an easy thing to go through, but one man has told the story of how his ex-wife and her lawyer made the process far more difficult than it needed to be. Have any of you ever had that experience? In a lengthy Reddit post, the man explained his ex-wife believed he was hiding income during the process and had her lawyer demand updated documents listing all of his income for their ongoing divorce proceedings. He wrote, while we were married, we had a couple of conversations about how rich people hide their assets to avoid paying taxes. I've never had enough assets to do this, but she somehow got the idea that I was and told her attorney that I was laundering money and hiding income. One day I get a letter in the mail from her attorney requesting an updated income declarations form and three years of financials, it had a long list of things to include. The man then explained he was struggling financially at the time and trying to juggle his start-up tech company alongside finishing school. But when he told the lawyer he couldn't afford to pay to print the documents and send them to him, he accused the man of lying and threatened him with further legal action. The man continued, I called him to explain my situation. He all but called me a liar and didn't believe I couldn't afford it. He then said if he didn't get these documents, he would consider my previous filings as fraudulent. Tell the judge, contact the DA and also alert the state aid tax agency and IRS. Probably an empty threat, but he said, but I'm no lawyer. That's when the man had the genius idea to use the law firm's fax machine, because yes, they do still use fax machines, to send over all the information and in painstaking detail. He wrote, you want three years of financials? You got it. I scanned to PDF every receipt I could find. McDonald's receipt from five years ago. F it, he says, won't hurt to include it. CVS repeat receipt is three miles long. Perfect. They get the $1 off toothpaste coupons too. Not only did I PDF three years of tax filings, have taken him forever but every single letter I received from the IRS and state tax agency including the inserts advising me of my rights. The man's file eventually totaled a whopping 150 pages and when he sent it over to the law firm's tax fax machine he received an error message telling him his tax his fax had failed. So he kept sending it until he received phone calls begging him to stop. He added Two days later, a lady from his office called and asked me to stop sending the fax. Their fax had been printing non-stop. I explained to her that her boss told me to send this by the deadline or else he would call the DA and IRS. Since I didn't want a call from the DA or IRS, I would keep sending until I get a success confirmation. The man then received another call from the lawyer himself who agreed to drop his request for financial statements. He said... She put me on hold and the attorney gets on the line. He said, forget sending the financials. I said that I would need this in writing, so I will keep sending the facts until he sent that to me. About 20 minutes later, I received an email from his assistant with an attached signed letter in PDF that I no longer needed to prove to provide financials. 
is this is the kind of insanity that goes on in the background of divorce. You'd think there were more important things to be arguing about, but anyway. And last but not least, The Guardian is talking about an art collection expected to fetch at least $600 million to help settle divorce. It is a collection that has attained almost mythical status in the art world, one that contains spectacular works by Picasso, uh, Rothko, Warhol, and a nightmarish, um, a nightmarish picture of of uh, it's a giant nose that uh, that uh, sorry I've just lost my, my bit of thing and I don't want to I don't want to misquote it. It was a a sculpture of a Pinocchio-like nose in a cage. After a US judge ordered itself to help settle a billionaire couple's acrimonious divorce, there has been a string of rumours and stories and uh, and this about who would be holding the two auctions for works with a combined estimate of $600 million, the highest figure ever placed on a single collection. The collection is owned by Harry and Linda Macklow, a spectacularly rich New York couple who began divorce proceedings five years ago after 59 years of marriage. Lawyers for the couple, both in their 80s, have wrangled over how belongings should be divided and valued. So sad. Not least the incredible art collection. A judge eventually ordered that uh, 65 of the most valuable works should be sold and the proceeds split. It, It is these works which will be auctioned by Sotheby's in November and May. Their divorce has been rancorous and very public. After Harry Macklow married his new wife Patricia Lando, and here's the irony, he had installed a thousand square feet portrait of the happy couple on a skyscraper overlooking Central Park. What a shame for it all to end up like like this. Uh, Personally I won't be bidding for any of it but uh, I'm sure there'll be some amazing work there. to our experts. Thank you so much, Carla, and I'm so sorry I made you make up, made you get up so very horribly early <laughs> over there in Australia. And, uh, and I'm, but I'm really, really grateful. So I was very, very keen to meet, meet you anyway. And so what we're going to start with is Voice for Kids. Just tell us a little bit about what Vo- Voice for Kids is. Okay, so I started Voice for Kids due to the fact of uh, being a child divorced myself. So at the age of nine, my parents separated and for the next 17 years, I pretty much struggled with the effects of my parents' divorce. Um, I didn't have much communication. There was not uh, a conversation after the separation. So it was pretty much a build up and explosion by the age of you know 17 for me. What I realized is When I went to look for help for myself, I really had to um, go and look. There's a lot of help I found for parents and what they were going through, but I couldn't find anyone that connected with me and what I was going through myself. And I discovered that um, I had a lot of gems and good information and uh, tools I could give parents to help them understand how we feel as children and what we're going through. And I really feel that from the children's heart and from the actual mouth of the child, it actually brings a lot more value to how children are feeling. Sometimes um, I've spoken to a lot of parents and they're not always interested in the specialist. Sometimes they want to hear the raw and honest truth of how children feel. And I decided then to uh, write two books 
uh, Please Don't Go and Isn't My Fault. And I launched them in 2003 with Voice for Kids. And I've been advocating for the last 20 years, uh, just, you know, being there for separated parents, helping them amicably co-parent in the best interest of children, giving them an understanding of what children are going through, the mindset of the child, and helping them understand that, you know, when you put children first in a separation, it actually is a win-win for all. And uh, the parents will actually find that they'll bring up still a well-rounded child if they decide to put the children ahead of their own emotions and feelings. Do you agree, Carla, that although there's a sort of general assumption that, oh, of course, people put their children first, in reality, uh, we don't. We are so caught up with, uh, especially if it's acrimonious, like some of those stories earlier, that the children get completely forgotten in all of this and and of all ages as well. How it's But it's a delicate area, isn't it? It's, so what's your sort of strategy, if you like, for helping parents to get over the inevitable guilt and realise what harm they're doing and, and, and help them to to see things differently? I just feel that, um, like, if, if parents were to look at the situation of usually where they're at, there's, there's so much, um, like I always say to parents, you can't help your child until you help yourself first. So a broken vessel can't help a broken vessel. So when, um, if your child comes to you for information, if you are still in a, in a place of hurt and pain, how can you be there to support your child? It's very important to understand that parents have to get that self-help themselves. They have to change their mindset. They have to see things from a different perspective. And sometimes the only way to do that is to get that counselling yourself. But if you leave yourself in that bitter place of living in your past, you can't see a future forward even for your children. So they're living in a hope that they're going to have still a great life moving forward, but sometimes they're on the coattails of where your emotions are. And usually you're not in that good perspective to help them. So I'm always trying to guide parents to say, you know, the only way you're going to be able to look forward and and uh, a good explanation I give is, you know, the front windscreen uh, of a car is a lot bigger and brighter. But if you're ever looking in the revision mirror, ever look at, forever looking at the past, which is only a small mirror, you're going to be living in a very dark place. And for your children, they need they need hope. They need to know that there is still a good future for them. And the important thing for them is to have both parents in their life. They they equally love both parents. They don't automatically go, oh, I just want to live with mum, I want to live with dad. They usually are stuck in that middle choice of not really wanting to choose. So my advice always is to parents that if you, if you feel there is no hope, uh, it's just because sometimes you're putting yourself in a place of not actually taking even yourself to a place of healing yourself and that peaceful place where you can see that there is a light to move forward. And that usually is because some people sadly choose to still live in the bitterness of what took place, whether it was an affair, whatever it was that took place, they don't want to let go of that. There's a fear to let go of that. And when they let go of it, sometimes they feel like um, they're excusing it. But if you see the bigger picture of why the children need you to, it's because they need that hope and light to know that everything's still going to be okay. Everything you're saying is music to my ears, especially the the idea of a choice, because it's so empowering to to go. I don't choose to let bitterness and anger be my driving force anymore. I'm making a different choice, and yet culturally, that that in the UK that can be, it, it's not an easy transition for people. I imagine it's not much different in Australia. How no. how do you approach that? Obviously, you've got um, the books. What other tools do you use to support people? 
So I've just released a new online course called How to Reconnect with Your Child After Your Separation. And this is a 12-hour course full of audio and videos. And basically what I've done in this course, because I've, I've noticed there's a lot of courses out there, but I really wanted to give parents the insight um, of how children feel in every area. So whether it's about the handover, whether it's about communicating with them, how children feel, the mindset of a child, um, blending families, um, ha- basically um, how to introduce a step-parent. There's so many different topics, and I think I've got over 34 topics that I talk about, and the modules are communication, parents and step-parents, and how to move forward. And in those modules, uh, those actual different topics, I talk about the problem first. So if it's the handover, I talk about the problems I feel parents do when they do hand over children, what they're saying to the child prior, why they're setting them up for an emotional ride sometimes and, and all those things that I feel they handle the wrong way. I then do a video on myself just saying, look, this is how it was for me, the handover. And then I talk about an audio with the solutions and the better way to handle that situation because I think parents need to recognise the problem but they also need the tool of the solution. You can't just leave them hanging with the problem. And I really felt that this um, this course, and it can be completed probably in two weeks if they did an hour a day, was really important because parents need uh, information now. They need it urgently. They don't need to be dragging the situation with their children while they're going through court or whatever they're doing. They need to be educating themselves now on how to help their children through this ride. And this is something they can do in the comfort of their own home. So besides doing my ebooks and paperback books, I just thought a relaxed course that they can do in the comfort of their home, educate themselves, and they can pre-educate themselves. So they're only just separated. They can see all the different topics I'm talking about and have the information now so that when those topics arise, they're actually prepared. And do you do one-to-one work with people as well? Um, yes, online? yes. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm imagining you I imagine you know how to use Zoom now, as we all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use Zoom a lot. <laughs> and and I imagine also that you work internationally because it, it doesn't matter whether you're in Australia, America or the UK, the the, the stresses and struggles of trying to co-parent are, are exactly yeah. the same, aren't they, really? Yeah. Oh, but look, I've said this uh, for years, Peel, this is a global issue. Uh, there, there's children hurting everywhere. Uh, it's a square peg in a round hole. It's a topic that people don't want to talk about, but they need to talk about. If you look at the destruction of what many children are going through in life in their adulthood, a majority of the time it comes from a broken home, uh, a, a missing parent in some way. Usually sometimes it's a father, a significant father present in the home, things like that. So it's it's just it's a really big issue, and I think it's probably getting worse at the moment due to the state of what's going on in the world. Um, there's a lot more um, domestic violence. There's a lot more things going on for children being stuck in homes. Uh, there's broken marriages happening everywhere, even more so now due to this COVID situation. Um, so it's been, um, I believe, yeah, it's, it's something that's it's actually only rising, which is quite sad. But I just think parents need education. And they, I do believe they're crying out for it, but there's just they're not sure where to get it sometimes. We, we don't get taught how to parent at school, as my mother always used to say, and she's so right. Um, it, you know, and But these are opportunities to uh, sometimes, I think, parents who've 
actively co-parent become much better parents than they would have done if they just if they were just together and not really thinking about it because you know, bringing up children is a bit of an art form which I'm still still learning thank you so much yes. Carla and I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, a shared story with you a little bit later no problem thank you thank you amazing and it's so great to hear straight talking you know it is a difficult thing it's so easy to feel guilty i've been there but that doesn't help your children um there's skills you can learn understanding educate yourself uh, your children don't have to suffer because of your divorce even if the other parent is making it difficult that's no excuse so uh, a little bit of um uh, i would say not teaching i've got something to share with you that's right i'll share this Um, I wanted to do some more of the, uh, uh, this is from taking out the course I've got in the Best Way to Divorce app. Calm Seas Love, The Children's Bill of Rights in Divorce by Robert, Dr. Robert Emery, PhD. Um, I wanted to go on to number five. Uh, he's He wrote this as Professor of Psychology at the University of Virginia, and they're just wonderful. So number five is the right not to have to be responsible for the burden of either of your parents' emotional problems. So, massive issue, massive issue um, when you when you go through separation and you're traumatised, it's very easy, particularly with the elder children, to use them as an emotional prop. And that's a very dangerous thing. It's not their job to look after us. They're not our psychiatrists or our counsellors. Um, but it is a very easy trap to fall into. So if you think you're doing that, stop. Go and use a counsellor or a coach or work with somebody. Do something, but do not use your kids to dump your emotional baggage onto. Or even just share those, those bad days. Because actually, you have to be strong through this because they've got their own worries and fears throughout it all and they need to have confidence in you and they don't want to see you falling apart because what they really want is for you both of you to be happy that's it so your job is to be happy and the other area around I wanted to say about your parents emotional problems is older children um, can often be drawn in because the parents say oh well they're adults now young adults and actually there are studies that show that they get just as badly affected sometimes more you know, their whole belief in what their family was it's all fallen apart it can have a, a devastating effect on their ability to form relationships if their role models end up being uh, turning from love to to hate in particular so even if it's just a bit of passive aggressiveness or the odd snide comment just don't do it in front of your children because they are half of both of you so that's robert emery emery phd's the right not to have to be responsible for the burden of either of your parents emotional problems put it on the fridge and she hasn't been gone for long but we're going to get her back now after that. And no doubt that what we've just been talking about might come up with our shared story. And welcome again. Deja vu, Carla. I just wanted to say, uh, Erica, Erica around England has um, just said, I tell my children it's my job to take care of you and it's my job to take care of me wise words as always from Erica and uh, completely what you were just saying Carla so shared story what would you like to share with us 
Okay, I think the story I will share is it's quite an important one. It's impacting and a lot of people have actually asked me to share this before. And it's about when children are caught in the middle. And I was I was 17 at this stage. I was still living with my father at this time and he was engaged. So I was about to have a stepmother. And up until this point, uh, there was never any discussion of me not being able to talk about my mother or my father to each other. So it didn't seem to be a problem. Uh, until this one day, I was actually taken to the kitchen and sat down and I was asked uh, by my father to not mention my mother's name in the house anymore. And when this moment happened for me as a child, it actually took me back to the nine-year-old little girl when my parents separated. So when I was nine and my parents told me they were separated, I pretty much froze because in that moment, um, my parents never fought before they separated. So for me, it was quite a shock my parents separated. There wasn't any arguments. So it put me in a state of shock. So all of a sudden I'm 17 years old and I feel like I'm reliving the same shock, which is being asked something or being told something that I'm not prepared for. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, um, why would my father be asking me to deny my mother? Like, why would he suddenly not want me to talk about her? This has never been asked before. And I realized in that moment, because I was 17, but children grow up very fast when they uh, go through divorce, their maturity, I feel, and their brain grows faster because we try to work things out ourselves. I feel like I was a lot older in my head and I, I'd worked, worked out in that moment that I feel that this request actually came from my stepmother, not from my dad, that it, it was this insecurity that she had. And due to that insecurity that she had, she'd asked of my father, because now they're engaged, she was secure in his love, that she could ask such a thing of him to then ask me. So in that moment, I remember turning and just saying, okay, because I didn't know what to say. I was scared of my dad at the time. And I didn't know uh, if I did react and say, why are you asking me such a thing? What would happen to me? So I just said, okay. But walking away from uh, the kitchen that day, because they proceeded to tell me that my stepmother's children agree as well. They won't talk about their, their other father. So it was like, you need to agree with everyone else. This is the decision we've made. I remember walking to my bedroom and just crying and ringing my mother and saying, I can't live here anymore. And my mother said, what's happened? And I said, I, I'm not allowed to talk about you anymore. I can't mention your name anymore. And my mother was quite shocked because this had never been an issue before. And I thought to myself, maybe it's when my mother pulls up to pick me up that she doesn't like, you know, my stepmother doesn't like seeing my mother. And there's all these silly insecurities that I thought because my parents separated I was nine I was now 17 years old it can't be an insecurity my dad's got it's a long time later on he dated a few ladies even before this lady uh, so it got to the point where I asked um, my mum can I go and live with her and when I did finally tell my dad I think it was the next day um, I was very scared it was very it's very hard to be a child of divorce and to walk up to a parent that you're scared of and tell them you want to leave them to live with other parents. It's not a position you even want to be put in. Uh, but I felt I had no choice because I felt like, you know, to deny my mother was wrong. I didn't feel that a child should have to do that. I was at that mature age. I mean, I, I'm grateful that I was at that age because I hear of little children all the time that are told to deny another parent and they are so young they don't understand that it's wrong. They, they just get... Um, basically controlled in the way to do it, to think that it's normal, to think that they have to do it, they get persuaded and coerced. And for me, I was old enough to know that that was a wrong thing to be asked of. Uh, but the sad thing was when I left and went to live with my mum, I then lost my father in return because the connection between him uh, dwindled and pretty much um, came to a place where I was writing letters to say to him, the reason 
um, you know, I'm not happy is because you asked such a thing of me, but it came to a place where they were denying it, denying that it was ever asked. And that's what was really difficult for me as a child because I, I was put in the middle of a, of a statement that should never have been asked and then I look like the bad person for, for, for moving away from them. That's such a painful, painful story. What, how, when you see that happening, how, what do you, how can you impl- um, empower the elder children and also empower the other parent? Because mm-hmm. at that time, they probably just didn't really know what to do. In, in hindsight, I mean, obviously not ask you in the first place, but when it does yeah. happen, what kind of strategies have you found can be, can be helpful? Well, I was only saying this to someone the other day who was asking me about this story. I said it was when I when I made the comment to my dad and I said, um, okay, I remember my head saying to me, why are you even saying that? I was, I, my brain was arguing with myself. You should, you know, and I think, as I said, it was the fear that I had of my dad that held me back. But I, you know, I really like to encourage uh, teenagers that you have a voice and you do have the right to speak up. And it doesn't have to be said in a way that's malice. It can just be, I mean, it can even be a question of, you know, like in my situation, if I was to go back, um, I would, I wish I would have said something like, Dad, can I ask you, all this time you've never had a problem with Mum. Why now? You know, why now? I don't, like, I, I think they need to explain to us why. They need to answer for a question that they're asking us. And I think um, children need to be, in a place that they're brave enough to know that it's okay to ask and it's okay for you to also say, you know, I don't personally feel that this is right while you're asking me. You know, we have a right to also to actually have a voice and say that we don't necessarily agree with it. And if it comes to that place where you feel to to be with the other parent um, and you're able to, the other parent might just have to accept that due to the question they've asked. Um, as I said, for me, um, I was too emotional because I hadn't dealt with anything by this stage. I hadn't had any counselling. So I was still very, very raw for my parents' separation at nine. That was the problem. I hadn't had any counselling and the discussion of my parents' separation had never been talked about. So I was still the little girl at nine at 17. Um, but I think if children have had counselling and they're brave enough, it's okay to step up and say, you know, I don't agree. Um, why are you asking me this? And do I get a say in this also because of my feelings? And I don't want to deny you, and I don't want to deny my, not deny my mother. And I'd never want to be put in this position to 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 have to say this about yourself because I think my dad never reversed it to mm-hmm. see what this like was done to him. And I always say to people all the time: before you say something, you should reverse it and see what it's like to be done to yourself. You know, before you ask a child. Do you, do you agree that uh, in, in situations like that, what might help uh, as well is to use mediation, family mediation, because there are specialised mediators who who work specifically yeah. with families, children, grandparents, and help resolve. Uh, and I think with the step parenting side, it is so challenging to be a step parent. Um, um, and if someone's not not that intuitive a parent, <laughs> they can yeah, as you say, get defensive and ask things that actually are completely unacceptable, but they don't realise. And uh, and so do you think that mediation can help um, take some of the pressure off the child? At least the, the teenager or even younger child can be encouraging the family to do family therapy together to, mm. you know, let's sort this out and let's, let's come to yeah. a, a plan here because 
it's just going to be very difficult otherwise to comply yeah. it's a lot to put on a child's shoulders though isn't it but oh. but somebody i i just think the more children are empowered to go hey you know stop fighting <laughs> go and you know I want them to tell their parents about the best way to divorce app, for example. I want them to recommend mediation. And the more education they have, uh, the better, because they're the ones who, who pay the biggest price, aren't they? Yeah, oh, look, I, I highly recommend mediation. And I highly recommend it over court if you can avoid it, because I really feel that sometimes children are just dragged through the family court. I mean, I wasn't dragged through the family court, thank goodness. I went through enough. I'd hate to think of what it would be like to be dragged through the family court. I've seen so many children's lives destroyed because of being dragged through five, six, seven years of court. But I truly believe that mediation is the way. And you know, there's some wonderful services out there that you hear of and they, they'll interview the child and ask the child how they're feeling first, open that information up and then give that information to the parents. The mediator will give that information and say, well, we've talked to your child and this is how your child feels. They're caught in the middle. They love you both. They don't want to have to choose. They want you to be amicable. They want you to get along. They want to see you both. And they're all the things that they need to hear. You know, they don't want to be put in that position. Um, they were they were brought into the world by them, you know, so th they want yeah. to be with them. And they just need to understand, you know, that, that uh, sometimes there's always one stubborn parent I find that just won't go to that mediation. And that's when it comes to being selfless over selfish and actually putting the children first and understand that mediation is not necessarily walking in because you're trying to make things better with your ex. It's for the sake of your child and that when you put your child first, you'll actually get a better relationship with the ex. And I say to people all the time, it's like a business. You have this asset, you, you you have this child, and this asset's not going away. As much as you might try and, you know, like you have a business, you break up, you sell the business, and off you go with your two halves, you're still going to have an asset. And that asset needs to be valued and looked after so that that child's not brought up to think, that um, that they're a broken vessel. They can they can you know grow up to feel that they're loved by still two people. They might be in two different homes, but they can have that equalness there and uh, understand there that yeah you know, they'll understand. There's probably still a little bit of turmoil between the parents, but they get along. They're civil for their for their sake, and that's really all I needed. Was my mum was quite civil. My dad was very quiet, but then all of a sudden, when you know the stepmother came in, it, it, it became very different. And that's where I think step parents have to learn their place. They're there to support their, the father of the child or the mother of the child. They just need to be a support. But the main parents, the biological parents, need to be the two that work together. And you know that child will learn to grow to love that step parent if they just are a friend at the beginning. They only need to be a friend. They don't need to be another mother or father. Brilliant advice. Thank you so much for sharing that story as well. Um, no problem. I hope to have you on the show again soon. Bye for now. No problem. Thank you. Thanks, Susie. In the app, Best Way to Divorce app, you will find I'm actually going to take out of the in the welcome pack. There is a co-parenting resources. I'm going to be creating a specific co-parenting area because I'm gathering so much, so many great resources uh, already in there. We have Split Smart. Uh, online special discount as well make your co-parenting plan and talk about what happens when you know we meet remarry really go through it you can um, avoid a lot of problems if you have these discussions and if you're not great at talking to each other uh, that's great because you can do it over the internet um through the software but then go and use it have a mediation mediation session to go through and talk about things you're not quite you know agreeing on and it's not about agreeing it's about hearing each other and having that discussion and bringing in particularly the elder children into that and letting them letting, letting them have a say um now we are ready for healing 
after all that. So let's bring in, um, I'm just going to let you know we've got Susan, who is uh, does EFT, Emotional Freedom, Freedom Technique, and she is a health coach. And uh, today, Susan's very kindly going to give us one of her healings. And I'm now welcoming uh, Susan into into the app, and not to the app. It, she is in the app as well, but <laughs> into the show. And and sorry to keep you waiting. We delayed a little bit today because I needed to make sure I had enough internet juice for this show to live stream. And uh, luckily, that the last minute that all worked fine. So what are you, what are we going to do today? Today we're going to do uh, a lovely basic. EFT tapping on overwhelm and related related stuff to do with overwhelm. It, it, it comes from your program last week, actually. I thought I knew I was on this week and I'm going to do an, an EFT to help people with overwhelm. Excellent. And and remember, this also goes out on iTunes and uh, and Forest Row Radio. Uh, uh, it's called um, uh, Wild Heart Radio. Wonderful show. Uh, so if you're aware when you're if you can describe what you're doing as well. And also sometimes people might want sure. to shut their eyes as well. And they, sure. if you can just just so you're aware of that, then they, everybody uh, can can have a go. So I'm going to be quiet now and enjoy the session. <laughs> Thank you very much. So Susan Cowmiller sharing EFT guidance and a routine to help reduce overwhelm. I also work with a, a follow-on of tapping, EFT tapping, called Matrix Reimprinting. It's like an extension, but it's the icing and the cake, and it's a powerful modality. And my lifestyle prescriptions health coach work is to do with the whole body the mind-body route to healing chronic health. So in last week's show, as I mentioned, Susan was, uh, Susie was discussing that the amount of information she gives new, new attendees, etc., uh, to, to the prioritizing, etc., that she feels that potentially they, they go away very overwhelmed. And we can, we can ease overwhelm. EFT tapping works it can work in two levels. It works as a very effective quick fix. And it works on a longer scale, six weeks, two months, six months, helping people to, to heal at a very deep level. So my sharing tonight will help you feel less burdened and more empowered to do what's required to get to the end of what can be a, a troublesome divorce journey. You can get there intact. So whilst going through the divorce journey, you may have feelings of dread and overwhelm and fear, panic, the stuff which jars you and you feel it in your body. You feel it in your heart, your chest, your head. Your breathing can be short and sharp. So stress and related stress feelings, anxieties require managing. And with guidance, positive intention, you can use tapping as an excellent quick fix, excuse me, quick fix to get you through a meeting 
to get you through the day. A difficult phase. Five or ten minutes can and will help you to reduce overwhelm and still calm and have a confident intention. So EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, working on energy channels. I'm, tap, I'm tapping just now on the energy channels, but I'm explaining that there's energy channels in the body. Acupuncturists use needles. We use our fingertips, tapping on energy points of the body, releasing blocks of negative energy, bad stuff stuck at cellular level. We call it psychological acupuncture. And if you take an active part just now, you will feel sensations in your body. And that's blocked energy moving, being released. You may yawn, burp, have tummy rumbling. But I'd like you to be aware if you're actively involved that actually you can feel things in your body. So let's begin. Uh, basically, I'm going to be asking you to repeat my statements. However, I may, I may put my hand up and that means I'm going to be going to be saying a few bits of information. We're working in the energy points and repeating the statements and you'll get the drift. So please start tapping on your karate point of your hand. Just gently tap. We do a starter statement. We start with a negative and qualify it with a positive. So I'm going to say the negative statement and repeat when I'm finished it. Even though there are times when I feel very overwhelmed, I know I'm able to deal with all of this. Repeat that too. I'm going to repeat it. Even though there are times when I can feel very overwhelmed, I know I'm able to deal with lots of this. So we're going up to the top of the head point, the crown of the head. And we're going to use two or three fingers to gently tap. So, feeling overwhelmed quite a lot of the time. Then there's three points in the eye, corner of the eye socket, I feel overwhelmed and it causes me deep anxiety. Side of the eye, these feelings of overwhelm. Underneath the eye socket, tapping gently. I feel overwhelmed a lot of the time. Now underneath the nose, tapping gently. We're just repeating the same statements for two or three rounds. I feel overwhelmed a lot of the time. Underneath the bottom lip, I feel overwhelmed an awful lot of the time. Then we have a point in the collarbone. By the way, you can change hands and change sides. It doesn't matter. So, the collarbone point, I've, I feel I feel hopelessly overwhelmed sometimes. And then we've got the point underneath the arm. 
bra strap area for women. I feel overwhelmed far too much of the time. We're back up at the top of the head, just keep moving through the points. I feel overwhelmed and I can feel it in my body. Move to the corner of the eye point. While we're continuing to do the more negative aspects of the rounds of tapping, I want you to sense where you might be feeling your discomfort in your body. It may move. And you can give it a number out of 10. 10's the highest if it's really bad. Five's middle of the road. But try to sense what your body's telling you because your body speaks to you. So move to the side of the eye, feeling overwhelmed. Feeling overwhelmed. Feeling anxious much too often. I feel overwhelmed too often. Stressed and anxious. Unable to cope. Back up to the top of the head. These feelings of anxiety. They're quite strong a lot of the time. I feel stressed and anxious. There's so much to do to organise. But feeling like this doesn't do me any good. I need to try to feel a little bit better, stronger. So I'm going to choose to ease these feelings of overwhelm. I'm choosing to ease these feelings of stress and anxiety. I'm choosing to ease the, the strong, difficult feelings of overwhelm. Back up to the top of the head. And take a deep breath as you're doing this. I, I choose to feel empowered. Just repeat the statements as I say them. I choose to release at least some of the stress. I choose to feel more confident about what I've got to do. I choose to feel more confident and work to a plan. Underneath the nose. Choosing to feel much more at ease and in control of what's happening. Choosing ease. Choosing to be able to do what I've got to do. Choosing to get on with the path I've chosen. Top of the head, feeling much more at ease. Feeling empowered. I feel able to do what's ahead of me. I've made the choice, I've work to do, I'm gonna do it. 
feeling empowered, feeling empowered my whole body, feeling strengthened, feeling better. Now place your hand over your heart space and take two, three or four deep breaths. The divorce path isn't easy. This is a tool and a technique that can give you instant relief to get on with your day, to get on with your meeting that you're going to, to get, to get on with whatever's going on, to feel empowered. I have lots of videos. Check, check me out. I'm also the author of Survive and Thrive After Trauma. I've been there. Don't want to do it again. I wish you well. Thank you very much, Susie. That's me finished. Thank you. I've tapped all over. I've got nice little red bits all over me now, <laughs> tapping away. Thank you very, very much for that, Susan, and uh, and for sharing that with everyone here. Because, as you say, um, and as as we've said all the way through the show, um, this is <laughs> your your children need you to look after yourself. As as Erica said, you know, it's your job to look after yourself as well as a parent. It's not their job. And uh, so you open your mind to the different ways of doing that that are also interesting and enjoyable and are going to reap rewards for you and are easy, so easy to do. So in the war of divorce, on the battlefield of family separation, always, always make peace your weapon of choice. <laughs>